You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. I eat success for breakfast with skim milk. Pounds are gonna fly, and that is out of here, mister! Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you're listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies growing up, the movies you're nostalgic about, and we watch them objectively, let you know, are these movies any good, or are you just blinded by nostalgia? This week, we watched 1995's family comedy, Heavyweights. Uh, Long requested, never seen by either of us. That's right. We were heavyweight virgins coming into this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... (laughs) Don't put it in that context, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the tagline for this movie, they never met a hot dog they didn't like, dot, 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 until now. Has nothing fucking <laughs> to do mean? with the movie whatsoever. <laughs> Doesn't fucking mean a goddamn oh single God. lick of sense. It's kind of, I wouldn't say a favorite of our generations, but it is a movie that I've heard a lot about. Saw the poster a lot as a kid, but being a Ben Stiller fan, didn't actually know he was in the movie because he wasn't featured on the actual theatrical poster or the poster on VHS covers back in the day. I remember it always as just the kids holding up that big fat sub sandwich. Which is crazy because uh, when we watched it on Disney Plus, at least when I watched I don't know how you watched this, Brandon. I watched it on Disney Plus. Uh, ben Stiller is gigantic in that frame, and then those kids are like shoved off into a corner. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think the Blu-ray cover of that, big Ben Stiller, little kids. But... Going into this, I was kind of excited just because of the pedigree behind the camera as well. This is, of course, directed by Stephen Brill. Now, Brill actually co-wrote this script with Judd Apatow. We've covered a Brill script before as he did write The Mighty Ducks, but this was his feature directorial debut, and boy howdy, his next three films, Zach, all possible contenders for this show because he followed up Heavyweights with Little Nicky, then it was Mr. Deeds, and then he followed that up with Without a Paddle. Wow. What a run. Yikes. What a there's run. Also, there's also a crazy cast in this movie, too. He also directed Drillbit Taylor. He did the I Babe segment in Movie 43, which, if I remember, is the one with Richard Gere and, like, the lady who's, like, a piece of technology that teenage boys keep having sex with. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, boy. He did the uh, Elizabeth Banks movie Walk of Shame. The Do-Over, Sandy Wexler, and Adam Sandler's upcoming Netflix comedy, Hubby Halloween. Oh, God, I didn't know that was a thing until now, and I don't feel good about it. Another thing that I noticed in this movie was uh, three kids in this movie are Mighty Ducks. That's right. That's right. Aaron Schwartz, Sean Weiss, and Kenan Thompson all starred in at least one of the Mighty Duck movies. Schwartz... In the first, as Carp, Thompson in D2 and D3 as Russ Tyler, and Weiss in all three as Goldberg, of course. Now, Sean Weiss, actually, originally not interested in acting in this film, but he changed his mind when he found out he would not be allowed to act in D3 The Mighty Ducks if he didn't star in Heavyweights. It was a fucking, like, contractual battle with Disney. <laughs> what? And that poor guy today, you know, that's... Well, I, that was my next uh, comment was, go ahead and give a where are they now to all three of those guys because everybody knows where Keenan Thompson is. Uh, Weiss is... Uh, no, he's no, not at a good all. Spot. Uh, but what's his fucking face? Aaron Schwartz. Aaron Schwartz. Check out that kid now. He's jacked as shit. Is he really? Is he a beefcake? Oh, dude. 
do yourself a favor and Google it right now. Google it right now. I'm not even kidding. It's All right, insane. I got to look this. Yeah. All right. Aaron Schwartz. Let's do this up. Yeah, Aaron Schwartz today. Okay. Got the old Google machine working overtime here. Think about all the child actors that you've seen that have gone from... Oh, fuck! Yeah, I mean, he makes Slip Nicky look like an idiot. Holy shit. Yeah, this guy is an absolute hunk. He's in... He, I guess he's still acting, yeah, too. Dude. Tons of projects in 2020. Yeah, he, I think, has mostly been relegated mostly to TV. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, that is correct. He hasn't done anything huge since becoming an adult actor, but... He is eye candy for sure. He looks phenomenal. <laughs> this is our second Ben Stiller film following Zoolander. And in case you're like us and had not seen this movie, a quick IMDb plot synopsis reads, Plump kids are lured into joining a posh fat camp with a promise of quick weight loss and good times, only to find that the facility is a woodland hellhole run by a psycho ex-fitness instructor. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. It's a tale as old as time, Zach. Yeah, classic. They stole this plot from the classic uh, fairy tale, Fat Camp. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Fat Camp, this was actually the episode, an episode of South Park in which this movie was parodied, titled Fat Camp. And while this was the first time Stiller played a health-obsessed fitness fanatic, it would not be his last, as it'd take up the role of White Goodman in Dodgeball nearly ten years later. A lot in here reminded me of that film, Zach. Those were two really good points, because two of the things I wanted to bring it up is this is just, uh, like, I didn't realize Ben Stiller just did another, what's his name, twice. White Goodman. Yeah, he just did White Goodman twice. And... (laughs) It's funny because the first thing I thought of when I started watching this movie was that South Park episode where Cartman uh, goes to fat camp and he smuggles food in for the kids. According to the Blu-ray commentary, Judd Apatow, who wrote the co-wrote the film with Stephen Brill, states that he not only used this film to try to impress his eventual wife, Leslie Mann, on their first date, he also claims he once ran into Paul Thomas Anderson, and he told Judd that he loved heavyweights. Director of There Will Be Bloods, watching fucking heavyweights on Saturday nights, yeah. Really? That's, that's kind of funny, man. Yeah, exactly. Also, can you imagine using this movie to try to woo a woman into a relationship? <laughs> Heavyweights has a 6.6 on IMDb, a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a much higher 77% by audiences there, though. Now, I could not actually find any information on how much this was budgeted for, but I do know it was a box office disappointment, only earning about $17 million in the States and nothing else worldwide as it was not actually released internationally. It placed 87th on the charts for the year of 1995 domestically, Pretty huge year for family movies that year earned far less than Toy Story, which was number one that year. Pocahontas, uh, previous episodes Jumanji and Casper, Best Picture nominee Babe, The Brady Bunch movie, Man of the House, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. What a year. The Indian in the Cupboard? Whew. Previous episode, a goofy movie, Free Willy to the Adventure Home and Tom and Huck. However, it did manage to out-earn Balto. What? (laughs) Stay tuned for Balto. (laughs) I'm going to watch that with my dog. You should. You absolutely should. By the way, how's that all that going, Zach? How's all that going? How's Phoebe? Um, well, she, Phoebe's great. Phoebe is very cute. She's, you know, she loves to cuddle. She loves to go for walks. She also loves to destroy my apartment and, you know, not sleep when she's supposed to. <laughs> oh, what a cutie, though. I, I've been awake since 5 a.m. <laughs> Brandon, I'm not even lying. I've lost six pounds. 
Your just entire life is consumed. I know. I'm, I'm sorry, dude. Stressed out, not eating. Oh gosh. And then, and then I had to watch heavyweights. I had to watch these fucking kids <laughs> to be like, oh, "I'm so hungry." Shut up, heavyweights. <laughs> and you know, despite its poor box office run, it has become a cult hit on home video. And uh, lastly, it's PG, you know, rated PG by the MPAA for some rude humor and pranks, Zach, and pranks. Oh, there are there are pranks. There are pranks in this movie. Pranks of plenty. It actually turns out 25 this year. So for the 25th anniversary of Heavyweights, let's get right in. So we open on the last day of school, students throwing papers everywhere, the classic cliche, kids making out in the hallways. Did you throw paper in high school? I didn't throw paper in high school. I just left. <laughs> no, home. absolutely. Yeah, I left. And not only that, had we pulled all the papers out of our lockers and thrown them in the air in celebration, the teachers would have kicked our asses. Like, what are you, like who's going to clean all this shit up? You think we're going to do this? No, pick everything you just threw on the ground and put it in your goddamn backpack and leave. They would leave garbage cans in the hallway like, there was just no reason to throw papers all over the place. Weird movie trope. Don't like it. So I recognized the opening chords of this song in the background, and holy shit, did it throw me for a goddamn loop when the Party of Five theme song kicked in? Everybody wants to be closer to free. Wow. I perked up at that moment. I was like, oh boy. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. A weird choice because Party of Five, I think, had started the year before this, or right around. So, so that song had become weird. popular at that yeah. time. It's like, you don't know, use the Dawson's creek theme song when that shows on air you know what i mean you get that's cribbing but we should <laughs> oh we should. don't get me wrong yeah and i'm glad they used it here it was a a welcome delight but we're introduced to aaron schwartz this is jerry he misses the bus has to walk home and wouldn't you know it zach he's just not good at anything physical he he can't even toss a baseball over a fence as he passes by a game. This is the same problem in Rookie of the Year. Listen, baseball's a tough sport, all right? I, I understand. But, like, Henry Rowan Gardner and this fucking kid can't be that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just not physically yeah. possible to be that age and be that bad at baseball. He throws multiple times, several times, trying to get it over this fence. It just keeps bouncing back, everyone pointing and laughing at him. By the time he gets home, he has to chug down an entire pitcher of lemonade off this lemonade stand, which terrifies the little girls behind it. And when Jerry finally gets home, he is greeted by his parents. Now, I didn't recognize the mom, but his dad, Jeffrey Tambor. Hard to miss. Exactly. And there's also Tim Blake Nelson for one scene, Buster Scruggs himself. <laughs> yeah, I remember last week when he showed up on the uh, IMDb page, and I was getting so excited. And... Uh... He has, like, four lines in this movie, maybe? I don't even know, like, why even bother? He's got, like, 60 seconds of screen time. Yeah, why even bother? Why wouldn't you just, like... I don't know. Just bring, like, one of the counselors or something. Like, I don't know why they had to hire him to be a pitch man. Obviously not as famous when this movie came out, but he's amazing. (laughs) For all the kids out there, the Tim Blake (laughs) Nelson heads. Uh, He's Roger Johnson, a, a recruiter for Camp Hope which is a weight loss camp for boys. Jerry is super pissed off because he had plans for the summer. He was going to, quote, hang out. That's, I mean, that's it. They force him to watch this video of the camp, which features the camp's owners, Harvey and Alice Bushkin, played by Ben Stiller's real-life parents, Jerry Stiller, who actually recently just passed away, R.I.P., sir, and uh, Ann Mara, 
whom I believe passed away in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, always a, always a treat to see these guys. was also hoping that uh, he was going to be in this movie more. He is in Disney. Yep, that is a shame as well. It is kind of a deceptive casting list, I would say. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of names on here that you would think is a front-loaded cast, but honestly, most of them are just here for a minute or two. In the video, we see some kids, you know, doing some jumping jacks, go-karting. They're jumping on this inflatable thing called the blob, which looks like a goddamn blast. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's one of those inflatable balloons that you jump on in the pond and, like, launch people up in the air. Yeah, again, but if I had seen this movie when I was a kid, I would have been like, that is the ultimate. I want to live there. That's fucking out of this world cool. I mean, the go-karts are cool. I I wasn't a good swimmer. Go-karts equally alluring in this scenario, yeah. But nevertheless, Jerry slowly realizes that all the kids look pretty chubby. And then he slowly loses it. Like, this is a fat camp. He says, quote, I'm not going to a camp with a bunch of fat loads. Whoa, kettle black. Yeah, come on, Jerry, don't be a dick. But the parents want to nip this weight thing here in the bud, and uh, we get a classic, well, I'm not going. Cut to plane leaving the runway. Hard cut. While on the flight, Roy Murphy, played by Kean Thompson, comes over and asks Jerry if he's going to fat camp. Completely unprompted, even out of his line of sight, he just wanders over and asks if this kid's going to fat camp. <laughs> Why would you think that? Because you're fat. <laughs> Yeah, Jerry replies, well, you're fat too. And then Roy's like, well, I know. That's why I'm going to fat camp. He also makes the assumption that the fat guy sitting next to him is his father because he's also fat. (laughs) He does. Like, holy shit. Then he says something that is deeply profound and sad. Something like, fat camp is awesome because no one picks on you because you're the fat kid. Everybody's a fat kid. And we can kind of get into this now, but maybe the movie's perspective or how they feel toward chubby kids is what i guess one of the redeeming factors of this movie because it doesn't seem like it wants to talk down to the kids it seems more interested in meeting them on their level i don't know how this movie might get made today because there is a lot of just like you're fat fatty 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 you know a lot of like body image things that definitely don't fly today but it never really gets to me it toes that line of being almost mean-spirited, but it's not because I, you're really meant to sympathize with the kids. And I don't think we are, are ever meant to make fun of them. You know what I mean? We're always on their side. So they arrive at the terminal and a bus pulls up and we meet Tom McGowan as Pat Finley, the beefy bus driver who's looking for several portly adolescents, as he claims. And uh, Pat, he seems very friendly with the campers, all of whom, except Jerry, are returning members. Again, uh... This guy is great, uh, obviously, and he's clearly meant to be a hero in this movie. Uh, 2020, man, I don't know if this character flies. <laughs> exactly. He's just a little too friendly with the kids, and never in a creepy way. He's always keeping it light and funny. Uh, but again, I could see how some people might might look at this movie and be like, that guy's why is he still hanging around this camp 18 years later? Yeah, he's been going to this camp for how many years, and he knows these boys how well? <laughs> The bus ride there is full of joy and laughter, and Pat promises Jerry this is going to be the best goddamn summer of his life. Oh, fuck yes. I'm so fucking excited. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I'm getting pumped. While they're unloading the bus, once they arrive, we're introduced to Tim Orford, Paul Feig, the director of the best Ghostbusters. Also, several episodes (laughs) of The Office. Yeah, I chose to ignore what you just said. Um, 
Also, <laughs> several episodes of The Office, Parks and Rec. He's uh, kind of a legend in television, man. Freaks and Geeks, which is also where he kind of, I think, further worked with Judd Apatow. But then, of course, he directed what? Like Spy and Bridesmaids? Yeah, the guy is actually a comedic legend. But yeah, he plays a former camper turned slim counselor. And I guess he's got to be in his 30s, right? Because he's rocking some high cut jean shorts. And uh, he's also on the campers level to a degree that I don't quite understand as an adult. He's also a guy I mean, he looks of the age where he should probably have like a different job by now. You know what I mean? Like unless he's doing this for volunteers. We also meet Julie. This is the new nurse played by Leah Lale. And Pat is immediately smitten. And you can tell this guy's probably never had a girlfriend because i mean the way he's talking with jerry he really you know takes a shine to him they become friends fast friends and you know he says that he's been coming here since he was 10 i just think pat lives a profoundly sad life he's you know he's best friends with these kids he claims to break up with his girlfriend before each summer so he can be free whatever that means i mean he's lying of course, but it, what what message does he want to send? I don't, why, why would you want to be free at an all boys summer camp? I mean, yeah, it's again, this is this is kind <laughs> of like deep down a sad character. <laughs> yeah, but again, this guy plays him really soft and light, and and you, you grow to like him. Jerry meets his bunk mates, Josh, camp legend, played by Mighty Duck himself, Sean Weiss. And uh, I mean, he's essentially just doing Goldberg in this movie. He's pretty one note. Yeah, he's dressed in a tracksuit, by the way, like a mafia goon. I like that when we first see him. (laughs) And uh, once Pat leaves, all of the campers reveal the massive hordes of junk food that they they have stored away in this cabin. It's a barrage of, you know, candy and sweets and meats. One kid has salami duct taped to his back. (laughs) One kid has, you know, a suitcase full of candies all separated in Ziploc baggies like a drug dealer. This British kid. I don't know why there's a British kid. Because there always has to be a foreign kid. He's got, like, candy melted all over his stomach and someone comes over and, like, licks it or something. (laughs) This literally made me gag. Yeah, he's got candy bars taped to his chest and then melted. So one kid comes up, smears his hand across the other kid's stomach and eats the melted chocolate off his hand. Then all the kids run up and start licking him over. Nasty. But a quick trip to the lake for a slow motion jump on the blob, which looks like, again, Zach, so much fucking fun. Okay, so the fun ends when the Bushkins announce they are no longer the owners of Camp Hope. To everyone's shock and dismay, Jerry and Anna, by the way, are great here in this whole scene where they're screaming about filing for Chapter 1 bankruptcy, and, you know, they've got nothing to show for it. And literally almost on the brink of tears, he's so good. But they all say goodbye, the kids all teary-eyed, because they're obviously a huge fan of the Bushkins and this camp in general, because it seems as though they've been coming here not losing weight and just, you know, enjoying the, the camaraderie of these friendships that they've built there. Yeah, I mean, it's like when they get there, clearly no one's thinking about the weight loss. It's just like, no, we're here to like have a summer like free of ridicule because we all get made fun of for being fat. Yeah, it's, it's a deeply profound and sad premise at the core but on the surface dude you know it's all fun and games man because now we're meeting tony perkis the new owner of the camp this is ben stiller the lights come down spotlight shines bright some music kicks in fitness entrepreneur yeah i was gonna say he also introduces a bunch of his counselors uh blade laser blazer <laughs> i was thinking the exact same thing yeah they've even got like the black matching tops <laughs> yeah 
there's another kid in here who uh, he's he's clearly like the scab of the place. Like he's he's young enough to be a camper, but he's clearly flipped for whatever reason. He was in Rookie of the Year. He's one of Henry's friends. Rookie of the Year. It all comes full circle. Oh shit! Yeah. Nice, nice catch. Good. What do you think of this character though, Tony Perkins? Because I have to admit, I I got a lot of laughs out of this guy. We talked about this on the Zoolander episode. This is another one of those swinging for the fences, crazy Stiller characters, and I tend to like Stiller most when he's doing a larger-than-life character rather than he plays like the put-upon-every-man. And Tony Perkins, he's no exception, man. I agree. I I do like it when he does uh, characters like this. I did like this character. I think maybe not as much as some of the other ones I've seen just because I felt like I was just watching a PG-rated version of... White Goodman. Yeah. Dodgeball, which I think that's where us having not seen the movie probably detracts because I'm sure if you'd seen heavyweights and then you saw Dodgeball, you probably got even more of a kick out of Dodgeball than you did before. But to me, I just felt like a little cheated. Like I wish he had started swearing or, you know, jacked off with a slice of pizza or something. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's still, he's still good. He's still doing, like you said, exactly what he yeah, he, he deepens his voice. It's clearly like a spoof of a Tony Little or, you know, like a Susan Powder style fitness merchant guru type guy. But I agree. Sure. It does feel like a bit watered down White Goodman. But, you know, had you seen this first and had you grown up with it, I completely understand the massive appeal surrounding this character for some. And at first he tries to relate to the kids by claiming he was once a fat kid, too. <laughs> I love what he delivers. Like when I was 12 years old, I weighed 319 pounds. Uh, and now he eats success for breakfast with skim milk. <laughs> but I love I love some of the details he gives this character. This one throwaway line like he was only taught by homeschool tutors his entire life. So he's excited about interacting with children for the first time. <laughs> it almost makes me wonder if he was improvising some of these lines because it, some of the things that he says feel out of character for this like pretty run-of-the-mill Disney kids adventure. <laughs> yeah, well, this seems like there are two movies at play here. One is the traditional almost sports movie ragtag group of Disney kids getting together and, and, you know, trying to do good. And then there's the Judd Apatow, like Ben Stiller pre-cable guy, dark humor, weird spoof parody that they're doing. And it's, you know, for a kid's movie, it's fun that it tries to strike a, a, a different tone than most of these do. But from our perspective as adults looking at this, yeah, I really want them to like just crank up the insanity on Stiller's character and, and push it towards that PG-13 R rating envelope. Perkis's dad, because he's Tony Perkis Jr., Tony Perkis Sr., also a popular fixture in the local community as he's the lighting fixture king, I guess. Um, we'll meet him later on, and that was quite the shock to see. Yeah, that threw me through a loop. <laughs> but he's going to do dad one better by not just giving you the light, but showing you the light. And that's when we're introduced to his whole team. There's uh, Alan Covert as Kenny the cameraman, Sandler regular. <laughs> And uh, Lars is the other guy that we're supposed to. He's his like right hand man who's very similar to the Blazer Laser from uh, Dodgeball. He's German or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or well, I don't know. There's a lot to be said about his character. I'm not. I'm not fully sure what's going on. But that night, Pat is angry. He can't chill in the chipmunk bunk with all the other campers like he does every year. But Lars, like we said, one of Tony's fitness henchmen, says Pat has been reassigned to the big house, which frankly should have happened years ago because this is, again, straight up weird. Lars is played by Tom Hedges, 
you know, the counts are now assigned to the chipmunk bunk. He claims to have a severely deviated septum, which produces a disturbing sound when he sleeps. However, it's not really a plate up for jokes like I expected. So the next morning, we begin training, all of which is being filmed by Kenny, because I think we uh, failed to mention that Tony Perkis's main plan is to make this camp's new exercise regimen into the top weight loss infomercial in the country. So we get some weigh-ins. You know, they're all taking their before photos to hopefully have an after photo. We also hear a mention of Tony's goal of getting the boys in shape to win the Apache run, which is what we like to call Zach foreshadowing the inevitable conclusion to this summer camp-based film, where there will almost certainly be some sort of, the camp will face off against a nearby camp in some sort of competition, I imagine. And it will be racially sensitive, too. I guarantee you that. I really hope so, with a name like the Apache Run. Huh. So, Lars, Tony's right-hand man, he seems just as crazy as Tony. He's always throwing kids into the lake and relentlessly pursuing Julie's affections. It's also implied that he has some sort of dark, foreign yeah, past. He's German, so, you know, connect, connect what dots... Exactly. The way he plays this character, though, I can't quite tell if they're going for the foreign as in German or foreign as in he might be an extraterrestrial because this guy's kind of weird. Yeah, he's like he never has like any. What a turn that would have been. Probably a better movie. So camp MVP is that team, by the way. They're nearby. They're the ripped sports camp. And uh, these heavyweights, they can't play baseball, dude. Jerry was introduced not being able to play it, neither can the entire team, because they have a, a match against Camp MVP, who I guess are training to be basically the most fit Americans. <laughs> you know, I uh, I have a problem with this scene because, Brandon, I don't know how much baseball you played as a kid, but on every baseball team I played on, there was at least one hefty kid who could hit fucking dingers. Absolutely, yeah. Well, of course. And they're all getting hit in the balls. They're falling down left and right. Uh, you know, most of them all asking to go to the nurses afterwards. You know, there is a bit of stupid stuff here, like one kid hitting a home run, you know, and it hits one of the kids in the head, Simon Birch style, like Ashley Judd. They even say it's a foul ball, though. They can't even get it done. Uh, Tony, meanwhile, knows he needs to rid the cabins of all temptations. So he destroys all the candy and all the treats. Um, but he's made a fool in front of the boys when Josh pulls the old Seymour Butts prank. <laughs> <laughs> ruthless. Ruthless. Uh, the next day, though, <laughs> Josh's bed is empty and rumors are spreading throughout the camp that he was kicked out and that his parents were so upset with him they didn't let him back home. <laughs> So apparently my, he just slept at a bus stop. My favorite was the chef who just kind of like looks at the kids. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> that chef, by the way, is Peter Berg, oddly enough, director of Friday Night Lights and Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day. So weird he's in this for one second. <laughs> this is such a bizarre cast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Jerry is kind of at his breaking point here. So he writes a note to his grandmother, a letter. And I love the, it starts off with like, someone once said war is hell, but that person never went to summer camp. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my gosh. But he's just begging her to like save him and whatnot because his dad doesn't give a shit. He's, he's like called his dad during the montage here. And Jeffrey Tambor is like, I didn't send you to camp to have fun. All right. Lose weight. <laughs> they even destroyed the blob, which has got to suck. And camp 
has turned into a nightmare. They're constantly exercising. There's even at one point, Tony announces over the loudspeaker, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. <laughs> the MVP campers are even driving by on boat yelling, you stink, you stink, you stink. No one yells batty or anything like that? No, the harshest they've got is you stink. And I like that. At night, they even vandalize their camp with spray paint and whatnot. It's a, it's a real, it's a real bad time for the boys. Camp Hopers are even seen at one point running through a field chasing cows with weapons, presumably to kill and eat that meat. But that's on their own time. So weird. Tony's fitness techniques downplay fun to the point of humiliation, including arranging a dance with the girls of Camp Magnolia in an attempt to shame the boys into losing weight faster. And this is a heartbreaking scene at first, this super sad dance in which, you know, the girls and boys are staring at each other, separated by a battle line of sorts. The girls visibly disgusted by these boys. And Jerry just wants to leave. But Roy tells him the boys are being blocked and guarded. They're not even allowed to go. So weird. <sighs> Do you remember Gross. middle school dances, by the way, and like the chaperones and the guard who would like, once you left, you weren't allowed back in. Was that a rule for you? Like, I remember that was a strict, strictly enforced rule back in the day. Um, yeah, there were, there was something like that, like no going outside or whatever, because they didn't want kids smoking a cigarette or doing whatever they do yeah. in buildings. But, uh, yeah, I do, I do remember the strictness of it. I don't remember it being as awkward as that, though. Everybody was pretty chill. Oh, no, this, this is over the top, but I just, this brought me back to the days where it was like, hey, if you leave, don't expect to come back in, dude. And it's like, good, I don't want to be at this fucking dance, dude. You think I'm going to miss Love Shack? Fuck your dance. Pat and Julie start chatting, and she even asks him to dance, but again, because he's a character in one of these movies, he can't talk around women. He's just as scared of the girls as the boys are, you know what I mean? Tim, Paul Feig, meanwhile, tries to save the dance with some Crispin Glover-like dance moves out there. Pat jumps in, then Julie, then the boys, then the girls, then everybody's dancing, dude, having a good old time. To be fair, uh, Julie, I'd be nervous to dance with her, too. She's smoking. Yeah, she's beautiful and super nice and kind. Yeah, but again, she's clearly taking a shine to Pat. He should also jump in on that. Tony, however, ends the fun. There's a nice little Zolly in on him opening the doors as the lights come on. After the dance, Pat and Jerry have a heart-to-heart He's all bummed out that he never got to use those goddamn go-karts, dude. So Pat pushes him in the go-kart on the track to a rousing score as Julie watches wetter than the lake the blob so proudly floated upon. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's maternal. Nice. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. loving this guy. Yeah. But yeah, she's like, God, what a nice guy. And Pat and Jerry seem like they're really bonding here. Speaking of bonding, check this out. Oh, look at this. Looks like she's finally taking a little break. Phoebe, I'm watching her right now on the old <laughs> Facebook Messenger call. Yeah, she's finally resting there at your feet, huh? Yeah, it's about fucking time. Yeah, I was going to say, you almost don't want to move or talk. Fuck you, Phoebe. Zach will be silent for the remainder of the episode. <laughs> Phoebe has been running me crazy. It took me four hours to watch Heavyweights because of Phoebe. 
Because <laughs> you kept starting it over because you thought it was so funny. Yeah, because I, Phoebe would fall asleep and I would fucking laugh my ass off and wake her up and then I'd have to take her outside again. And then I'd come back in and I'd say, well, I'm not going to fucking just pick up where I left off. I'm going to wash it again. And then the first joke would make me die laughing. Phoebe would wake up and have to take her outside again. It was a vicious cycle. It took so long. Finally, I just watched it in my car and let Phoebe just chill out and destroy my apartment. You had to reset the momentum each time to be able to truly enjoy heavyweights. Yeah, I got That's you. right, baby. But I took all the water with me, so Phoebe didn't have anything to drink. <laughs> so so again, you know what? yelping and screaming in here in the apartment. Oh yeah, it's a, it was a there was a there was a heavy price to pay, but fucking heavyweights, man. As <laughs> you watched it on your phone on Disney Plus in the car. That's right, baby. That's this is for you, nostalgia, be damned listeners. <laughs> oh man. My dog had a scarring day because of you. So in the middle of the night, Josh, Mighty Duck himself, he returns. I guess it's thrown away a dialogue that Josh's father's a lawyer and threatened to sue Tony for not getting a refund. And if, you know, it let Tony have no choice but to bring Josh back to camp. Why even bother? <laughs> what the fuck was the point of this? I don't know why he had to leave or not. I guess, I don't whatever. Yeah, why not just like, why not just show like a punishment? Yeah. I mean, I, it is a it's a funny payoff to the joke of him being like he called just because he used the joke Seymour Butts that the next day they all come to realize he's gone like he's been killed or something. Yeah. And it's also and it is also I admit kind of funny that he walks in pretending to be lobotomized. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That joke went on far too long, and I feared the movie might take a hard right turn to a even like a movie I really didn't want to see. Uh, but thankfully, yeah. of course, corrected. Don't worry, it doesn't take any hard right turns at any other point in this movie. <laughs> oh my god yeah we're coming up to a very long and winding road foreshadowing so he's even shaving the next morning which i found strange uh but yeah nothing good to eat for miles so they decide to break into tony's cabin office while he's out for his morning run to see what he's got they find all of their letters that he's been like stashing and hoarding away meaning he's cut them off from the outside world this whole time and uh you know they're almost caught thanks to one kid that farts on his way out the window, and that fart goes right into Jerry's face. <laughs> the British kid, right? Right into Jerry's mouth. Yeah, the British kid, yeah. <laughs> a fart later described as a fish and chips fart by some of the campers. So that automatically, we that means heavyweight starts at a 50 for me, and we're only working our way up from here. I was going to say, well, you were happy, right? This is the best movie we've seen in weeks. Yeah, the only... I was going to say, we've been decidedly lacking farts in our films for far too long, my friend. Yeah. Agreed. And it only took Disney Plus to get us back on track. Thank you, thank you. And Ben Stiller, like, sniffing the air, like, sniffing out where the fart came from because he can sense someone's been mm -hmm. in the room. Nice, nice. That fart doesn't smell like elderberries. <laughs> so... The campers discover a secret food stash, which is restocked by other people in exchange for money at night. This is all happening in, inside it, like a tree for stump. For the scab. Yeah, for the scab. The That's scab right. kid that we said was in Rookie of the Year earlier, he's the one who's like taking money and putting it into the log where kids can come at night and get their food, much like the episode of South Park. So the next morning, they've reached the midpoint of summer, so it's time to see you know, the Perka system in place in terms of poundage, how successful has this program been? The first kid to get weighed in is somehow two pounds heavier, but hey, 
muscles heavier than fat, so we'll let him have it. It's because he's recording all of this. And then he asked Jerry to get on the scale, and Jerry has gained nine pounds since arriving at the camp. And that's when <laughs> Tony fucking flips out. I love this so much. It's so dumb, but he even turns around and has like a Jekyll and Hyde conversation with himself. Uh, again, I think there's a darker movie here that they really could have pushed some of the shit with Tony, but this is funny for a kid's movie. I don't know. I'm laughing here. No, again, like it is like it's a separate movie that's going on with this Ben Stiller character. (laughs) And I guess the payoff then becomes dodgeball. You know what I mean? I know we've talked about this earlier, but it does like it feels like this just goes in the direction of what this dodgeball character ends up being. So next up, he forces the campers on a 20-mile hike, reasoning that this will not only help the boys work off some extra weight, but will also restore discipline. Uh, Before the hike, though, Pat and Jerry have another heart-to-heart at dusk, and they're both kind of sad that they're always just considered the fat guy, so they decide to stand up for themselves and sabotage the hike. And so it begins. The next day, the hike, you know, it's a bunch of grab-ass and kids rolling down hills, Tony making several incorrect references to Greek gods <laughs> along the way. He also at one <laughs> that point, was a funny bit. He keeps mistaken. Yeah, at one point they also, oh yeah, Icarus, he rolled the ball up too close to the sun <laughs> and it melted. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he refuses to take them home, home until they're all in the leanest, meanest condition of their short lives. You know, he's basically lost it at this point. He's leaping onto like tree branches that are over cliffs and stuff just to prove his point. It's when he finally plans to meditate and have them climb like a thousand foot cliff face. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, by the way, when he's doing this meditation Tai Chi shirtless, dude, we've talked about it on this podcast before. Ben Stiller is fucking ripped. Oh my <laughs> God. Like, and I know this, I've, I've seen so many movies of him, like, and he's notoriously like in amazing shape, but he really like, Jesus Christ, dude. Every time you see him, it, it's like, oh my god. This dude works out. <laughs> yeah, Greg Falker fucks. Oh my god, does he ever. This part grossed me out. Oh, so yeah. Ew, they dude. trick him into doing a sit-up blindfolded, only to try to make him a felon, essentially, by pulling on a John's, Josh's pants and having... Tony sit his face up into a boy's bare ass. That's their plan. Now, thankfully, Tony realizes this just before his face hits and he karate chops Josh to the ground. But holy shit. (laughs) Does he ever karate chop Josh to the ground? (laughs) Then they go on this little, like, chase down and fucking... (laughs) He falls into a pit and is, I guess, pretty pretty badly injured. And the boys bring Tony back to camp and imprison him in a makeshift cell of chicken wire, which is, like, electrified with a bug zapper. Dude, this is when it starts to get real, real dark. This is when this movie (laughs) takes a fucking, like, you know, I want to walk you through this because I'm watching this movie, and the whole time I'm like, you know, camp movie, camp movie, camp movie, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then it becomes fucking prisoner. Where he beats where fucking Hugh Jackman beats the shit out of Paul Dano. Oh, prisoners. <laughs> oh my god, this movie takes a fucking weird, weird turn. <laughs> Where's my daughter? <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. The camp counselors are shocked. You know, Tim says, people get the chair for something like this. 
Lars and the other staff members are tied to trees and they're like honey smeared all over them for the bears to, to pick at, I guess. Again, super dark. And then the kids take down everything Tony Perkis related and take over the camp. And they have like a fucking uh, Caligula orgy. Oh, yeah, it's a full-on fucking riot, essentially, this celebration of Tony's downfall. Beforehand, by the way, they use a tape, a recorded tape, to, like, emotionally terrorize him. In this Disney movie, by the way, what it says something like, Tony has a tiny wiener. I was like, wait, what? A They're skinny making, wiener. Yeah. He says a skinny wiener. They're making dick jokes in this And Disney then they movie. shock him. It's fucking Zero Dark Thirty. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> Torturing, yeah, they're just torturing people now. And then they have this huge fucking blowout with fireworks and they order a billion pizzas and a sub that's like 12 feet long. Oh, yeah, that sub sandwich? Yeah. Oh, it's a bonfire party with a lot of binge eating, man. They even untie Lars as he's threatened with deportation if he wouldn't cooperate. <laughs> yeah, so it becomes Stockholm Syndrome. Dude, Heavyweights is a fucked up movie. It's dark, man. It is dark. They, they're drenching themselves in chocolate and soda, too. This looks gross. <laughs> like I said, Caligula orgy. Yeah, exactly. It's an orgy of dessert delights. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Even freaking Skinny Tim is fucking going crazy. <laughs> yeah, everyone, including Tim, is all passed out in like a food coma. They all wake up the next morning. There's like a pan or a jib over all of the bodies. And there's a couple farts I overheard as well. So we're ticking up the old Rotten Tomatoes score point by point, minute by minute. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> It's at this point that Pat gives sort of a rousing speech, you know, to all the campers that they should show some sort of self-control. Let's all be in control of each other's diets, our own diets, and we'll help each other succeed. And we get a very brief montage of a bit of exercising, but it seems like everyone's having fun this time around because, you know, they're not being pushed too far and they want, they're doing this because they want to do this. And on parents' visiting day, the parents are finally shown a video of Tony's cruelty. Because again, all of this has been recorded by Kenny, the cameraman. They've even staged some stuff in here, like the kids eating rats. <laughs> that was a nice touch, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just video of him yelling at all these kids. <laughs> and all the terrible shit he did. There's like multiple takes of him asking a question that he wants a certain answer for. And the kid keeps fucking it up so he keeps losing his mind on him. It's good stuff. Meanwhile, Tony has finally managed to escape. And he does this front flip off the balcony to confront the kids and the adults. And dude, this was the biggest laugh of the movie for me. As he's walking towards them and talking, he's just taking glass bottles off the tables and smashing them on the ground so he can walk on the shattered glass. <laughs> so good. It's very, this is a weird movie. <laughs> It's fucking insanity at this point. But yeah, he's sucker punched by Jeffrey Tambor, you know, who, yeah. And then he winds up knocking himself out after a number of backflips. <laughs> and uh, this is where we finally meet lighting fixture king Tony Perkis Sr., who was surprisingly also played by Ben Stiller. <laughs> like, of course it is. And hasn't Ben Stiller done this before, too, where he plays like multiple characters and one of them's like an old dude? You know what I was thinking of um, when he's doing that character in Starsky and Hutch when they go to like that auction. <laughs> do and it. He's like, oh, yeah, do, do it, it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That's what that reminded me of. Yeah, he ends up putting Pat in charge of the camp and takes Tony Jr. away. 
And at this point, you know, it's kind of seems like the movie would be winding down. But then you remember to yourself, hang on a second. Didn't they mention an Apache run in the beginning of this movie? Dude, oh, my God. I just wanted the fucking movie to be over at that point. Like, a natural conclusion. Could have had the Apache. Like <laughs> No one gives a shit about the Apache run. The, like, okay, if you want to, like, wrap it up with this fucking Apache relay, that's fine. It's got to be a max one minute. Max 60 seconds. This this is like a fucking 10-minute segment. This is fucking ridiculous. And it is as racist and misguided as it sounded in the beginning. There's a bunch of white kids dressed as Native Americans, and then the camp MVP are dressed as Greeks for some reason. I don't know, yeah, whatever. The, uh, Romans, I don't... It's so yeah, weird. <laughs> I don't get it. What is that? Pairing. Make them pilgrims. It's just these two teams, two camps against each other. Yeah, pilgrims would make sense. <laughs> Um, fucking racist. A ton of obstacle courses, uh, you know, Camp Hope moving slowly but surely. Obviously, Camp MVP always winning these challenges, most of which are physical. There is, however, a hall of intelligence in which the one British kid actually knows the answers to. It's like a throwaway line. You Americans have no sense of history. Ooh. Yeah, fuck you, British sucker. <laughs> sucker punch. Fuck, that hurts. So tired. <laughs> We're almost at the end here, buddy, because the last challenge is the go-kart race. Pat uh, has done some work on the motor of this beast, and Jerry is kicking ass. First time he's ever ridden in a go-kart, and he's doing well. This course, by the way, looks fun as fuck. Holy shit, there's like jumps and shit and all these wild turns. This is well shot. I kept trying to figure out if they were using stunt up. I mean, they had to have been, but they looked like little kids in the in the driver's seat. They clearly attached cameras to the sides of these go-karts, but they weren't GoPros. We didn't have cameras like that back then, so these must be these cumbersome fucking film cameras on the side of these go- Like, it looks like it was difficult and a bitch to shoot, but it looks cool. This is fun. Which I guess makes sense, like, why they would want to include it in the whole thing, but at that point, just make it a single go-kart race. Like, I didn't need, like, to watch the fat kids stumbling through all these obstacle courses and, you know, trivia or whatever. Like, just don't give a shit. I'm even fine with having it in there, but but in my opinion, I think you should have had this before the confrontation with Tony at the end. So if you have this whole thing, they win at the end, and then Tony breaks out and has his final confrontation and end it with Tony and you know the campers. This just seems kind of superfluous, to be honest. Agreed. It feels tacked on. Like the the natural conclusion to this movie is the kids feel better about themselves now because they're you know taking control of their own lives. And Pat, who's, like, kind of lived this weird, sad life, is now in charge of a place that's meant so much to him. It's a perfect ending to this movie. And then we get, like, a fucking whole go-kart scene. Well shot. And I think had it been just moved ahead maybe a a few minutes before the whole Tony reveal or escape, I think it would have played better. But nevertheless, it's fun. And Jerry, just at the moment he thinks he might lose, thankfully, took took a page at a our friend Dominic Toretto's handbook and he hits the NOS or some sort of fan <laughs> that just boosts, boosts him real fast. And he wins at the very last minute. And for the first time, Camp Hope wins the trophy. Right. Yeah, man. And the camp MVP director seems to think the cup belongs to them. Like we're going <laughs> to, we're going to petition the, the, the league or whatever. It's like, well, I don't know why, but Pat doesn't give a fuck about the trophy. He throws it in the goddamn lake. Cause that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Freeze frame. Yes, freeze frame on Pat and Jerry celebrating. Hooray. But, Zach, I bet you didn't know this. There's a stinger scene that I saw. No, I did not. I did not. It ends with 
Tony is someone opening the door on Tony, who's now a door-to-door salesman selling healing crystals. That's how it ends. <laughs> Heavyweights, did Heavyweights, what are your thoughts? Man, I guess I had put this movie off for a long time because it just seemed like there would be very little in it for me to enjoy based on its marketing. Again, I knew it had been Stiller, but as a kid... He wasn't on the posters, so, you know, I became a Stiller fan in my preteen years. This seemed too young for me at the time. But having seen it, it does follow the beats of your typical summer camp movie. Therefore, very cliched. However, no TNA or kills. Predictable children's entertainment on the surface. But I did laugh fairly frequently, you know, throughout the runtime. And I can easily say I did enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed Ben Stiller's performance. He's the best part of the movie. In fact, like I said, it just feels like there are two movies at play here. You know, that sardonic spoof of fitness gurus that were all the rage in the 90s. And then the other movie, which is just your standard kids movie, uh, forming a sports team type deal that we've seen too often on this show. I would have loved if maybe they had gone for that PG-13, went the maybe wet, hot American summer style parody. And I think this movie could have been benefited. However, I do think it strikes an interesting tone that you don't often see in these kids movies, especially nowadays. But the kids in the movie actually helped pull it off. We didn't mention this, but I don't think there's really a single kid that was so annoying it brought the movie down, which is often the case with movie these types of movies. Like, these kids are fine. None of them are annoying or bother me to the point where, like, this these kids suck. They're all good. The British kid probably comes the closest. <laughs> and that's only because he's not from America, right, bro? Yeah, bro. Fuck that, dude. <laughs> um... I, it kind of brought me back in terms of my childhood summer memories and nostalgia and whatnot. It, it's on Disney Plus now, so I think it could be enjoyed by kids today. What I did appreciate most about it, though, was while these kids are made fun of throughout because of their weight, we are always on the kid's size, and we don't want them to feel bad about themselves, and I don't think the filmmakers do either. They, they really present a positive message of kids should try to be healthy, but that their weight shouldn't dictate you know their worth or happiness, so... I don't think this is nearly as bad as critics said, like a, a 29%. No fucking way, dude. I'm actually going to bump it up again. I don't think it's a 77% from audiences either, but I'll give it a solid, like a 60. I'll give it a 60, dude. I, I genuinely think that's like a funny kids movie that I, I don't need to necessarily watch again on my own. But if I had a kid and they wanted to watch like a fun summer nineties movie, I don't think they ever would. This is a decent watch. Sure. Uh, yeah. I don't think this movie would have spoken to me when I was little, honestly. Um, you know, just not not really my bag. Um, you know, I I'm okay having missed it. I I agree with you. I don't think it's nearly as bad as critics say. I think it is fairly inoffensive given the content of the movie. Um, it could have been way worse. I mean, there's some low hanging fruit there that they refuse to pick, and I appreciate that from an audience perspective. Again, Ben Stiller is funny in it. I wish I had a little bit more out of his character, but that's just me being spoiled. I think his character's funny. There's some legitimate laughs in there. Um, as And, you know, um, it's, it's a pretty well-made movie in terms of there's some really solid talent, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And it shows. I think it, it, it turns out to be a pretty good movie. That said, um, in terms of the script and the plot... I was really kind of bored, and I think I would have been bored even as a kid. There really isn't a ton going on in this movie that isn't just like, you know, like camp hijinks. Like the scene where they sneak into Ben Stiller's cabin, that's like a solid 15 minutes of just like, 
nothing really going on there. Um, and I felt like there was a lot of that going on throughout the movie. I just never really felt too engaged when Ben Stiller wasn't on screen. Um, the kids are fine. I, I, I totally agree. I don't think it's that bad. I think if you have kids, it's worth showing them now because it, it honestly, it's got a good message. It doesn't really get too offensive as long as you're not deep diving into some of the 90s things that we used to do on screen. I think it's a 50. I'm, uh, yeah, uh, 50, 45, probably around that range. Um, I, I won't go see it again. I have no need. Um, if you liked it as a, as a kid, I could see where there's a little bit of nostalgia factor for you to go and revisit and, and get some enjoyment out of that, especially now that you're older and you can understand some of the more adult themes. Totally, totally middle of the road for me. Yeah, it did not feel like a, an hour 40 wasted in terms of most of the movies we watch on here that we hadn't seen before. Like, this was uh, one that yeah. I, do, I don't regret watching, so I'm glad I finally checked it out. Yeah, agreed. Anything you checked out, Zach, good or bad, over the last week or so? I've not really had time to do anything. Um, I did check out a couple of things on HBO Max. Um, the only thing that really sticks out um, is a movie that's on there, and it's... A super famous movie, especially for anybody who's into anime. I, so I watched Spirited Away because that movie, I remember watching that movie when I was younger and just being so taken aback by how fucking terrifying those things were. <laughs> like that animation. It's a, I'm watching it now as an adult. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie and really well made. Um, I, I recommend that if you've got HBO Max. Um, They've got a ton of those movies stored on there that are worth watching, but Spirited Away, I think, is my favorite one out of them. And that's it. Uh, other than that, I've been staring at my dog's butthole waiting for it to poop. <laughs> oh, man. Here you go, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so uh, speaking of dog's buttholes and poop, I watched Joe Dirt 2, Beautiful Loser. Why'd you do this? Why do you do this? <laughs> crackle, crackle original Joe oh, Dirt 2, by the no. way. Uh, <laughs> It was horrendous, just truly bafflingly awful. And yeah, I did it to myself because every once in a while, I, we like a good hate watch. And uh, I hated watching sure. it. So makes sense. Sure. Truly a movie to really make you appreciate the nuances of Joe Dirt or Joe Dirte, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also watched Commando, which was that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the 1985, just like a balls to the wall action movie. And I promise it's not all shit. I just wanted to get those two out of the way. Okay. Uh, I also watched in more serious context, uh, 13th, which was Ava DuVernay's documentary from a few years back sure. on Netflix. Really, really good informational eye opening, something that everyone should watch. And then finally, I ran through the entire season of The Outsider, which, dude, I fucking loved. I thought that was great. Of what? The Outsider. The Jason Bateman one? There? Oh, The Outsider? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, 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 like I, yeah. I like The Outsider, too, and you know how I feel about Stephen King. Yeah, it, it seemed like a new version of It that, you know, didn't completely botch the ending, in my opinion. Like, I again, Oof. very similar in its where it ends and everything and how, how it manifests. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, at least it doesn't end with them, like, shouting at a clown till he turns in a pile of goo. Yeah. If you're on HBO series, I, I've recommended it on the show again, but I'm gonna just give it to you. You gotta watch uh, The Watchmen if you haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably my next one. I'll start. Yeah, yeah. What? Go ahead and uh, 
I mean, I would say read the read the graphic novel if you haven't, but uh, if not, watch the Snyder version first and then watch the new one. Oh yeah, dude, I've seen the Snyder version. I'd have to watch. Oh, I know you just have. for the sake of it too, dude. Right? That's your favorite movie. Uh, <laughs> Who told you that? How did you know? We're gonna be actually watching one of my favorite movies as a kid uh, for our next week's episode. It feels like kind of a gimme or a movie that we should have done a long time ago. However. Very well regarded by many, but a premise that the the deeper you dig, the stranger it is. So we figured it'd be a worthy episode. We're watching 1993's Mrs. Doubtfire next week. Oh, uh, one of those movies that I felt like I was kind of told that I liked it. You know what I meant? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I watched it so many times as a as a young kid, probably not fully grasping the whole scope of it, but I was told this was a good movie. So we'll see. I, I haven't seen it in a really long time. Same. I haven't seen this in any sort of adult perspective, so I'm curious to see how this holds up. Uh yikes. <laughs> Yikeroonies. Well, uh, thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more of our episodes, check out our originally hosted site at Podbean. That's nbd.podbean.com. And uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's Nostalgia Be Damned. Like the actual name we got it on Instagram. <laughs> thank God. Unlike our Nostalgia Damned Twitter account handle. Please help us out by writing us a review. Uh, don't forget to leave a comment. Give us any recommendations that you have. And of course, as always, tell a friend about this show. Please. And like he said, heavy, I mean, heavyweights, the drumline, parent trap, all of these were recommendations. So feel free to write them in. Otherwise, we're going to we're going to start doing movies that we like from like last year. And we're just going to become a normal podcast movie, and it's going to suck, and you guys are going to hate it. Zach, this is our 90th episode. We're going to be coming up on our 100th here within the by the end of summer. I feel like we mm. should do something big for that. We Maybe, I don't know. We'll have to talk about it. We'll have to figure out. Space Jam? Space, Space Jam Revisited. I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to see. If you have a suggestion for our 100th episode, let us know. It's got to be a big one, though. Don't give us some, don't give us some weird movie that nobody's ever seen you give us a good movie exactly and if it doesn't end in our ritualistic suicide don't bother dude because that's how 100's going that's out. how we want to end the 100th episode killing ourselves <laughs> two loud bangs yeah exactly <laughs> oh why do we have to go dark there's too much darkness in this world let's bring it back to some happiness act how's phoebe <laughs> Is Phoebe doing all right for the rest of the night? She's fucking sleeping. Fuck her. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Be good people. Have a good night. Wash your hands.